ready. I am ready. <laughs> Good day, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good people, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila, and today we have another special Flowers episode honoring artists who are still here with us. Before we begin, and before I forget, if you have any queries, comments, or critiques, you can contact us at musicandwejj, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's music and we jj at gmail.com okay on with the show our special guest today is chris warren and i am so happy to have you on chris because the band we're about to discuss i know you love them as much as i do bad religion yes i love them to pieces too so this is an absolute pleasure getting to hang out and talk one of my favorite bands thanks for having me on jamila yes absolutely not a problem at all before we get into it let folks know who you are. Yeah. Uh, so kia ora. That's uh, hello in New Zealand. And my name's Chris. And I'm from Auckland in New Zealand, down here at the bottom of the world. I'm not sure what else to say. <laughs> and I and my entire life outside of my working life revolves around music. I do gig reviews. I play in a band. I am always listening Jamila and I are starting a global internet punk rock project with our buddy Rob. So hopefully by the end of July, we'll have some music that will be coming out. Yay, the global punk rock band. This band was actually started due to our love for bad religion. So it all comes together. <laughs> it's pretty wild, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so you do have a band. And the band is called Cowboy Dan. Just to start things off, you want to play... A little song of yours it's called click do you want to describe what that song means or does it speak for itself or what do you got yeah sure so click spelt c-l-i-q-u-e because it's a bit of a song about how we feel in our Auckland music scene at times because it is quite clicky Auckland's both a big city, but also a really small city as well. Like there's lots going on yet. Once you get involved in certain circles, like everybody knows everybody. So we found it kind of hard as a, a jangle kind of indie rock band to find our way in. Um, <laughs> so this song is a little bit about uh, the clicks in Auckland for better or for worse. Uh, and there's a lot of Auckland scenery, you know, the bike paths, the food eateries we'll go to. So lots of like local specific references. And Cowboy Dan, you know, I say like jangle rock band. You hear like there was a scene in the 80s in New Zealand, the Flying Nun record label. They had the bats, the chills, like all of this kind of alternative pop. So our singer uh, is really inspired by them, but I'm also a punk rocker. I <laughs> love my bad religion. Uh, you know, I grew up on like 90s epitaph music. So you'll hear the kind of the melding of those two worlds in this track, Click.
Yay. <laughs> yes. Click. So you talk about punk rock and the thing for me that makes a good punk rock band. I call myself a punk kid, but you know, there's different factions, facets, whatever you want to call it, a punk. But for me, what makes a good punk brand is the diversity of the players. I don't think that's something that gets talked about a lot. Because if you listen to the three, the typical three chord punk, if that's all you listen to, it's going to get tired pretty fast. But some of the greatest mm. hardcore and post-punk bands like the Minutemen, No Means No, the Meat Puppets, the Dead Kennedys, Husker Du, the mm -hmm. Bad Brains, Gang of Four, Bad Religion, and so yeah. many others. They've had interest in or they played funk, jazz, folk, country, R&B. You just never have a dearth of inspiration. And so when people talk about punk, they are talking about a genre, but I do agree with folks when they say that punk is a state of mind. It can't just be narrowed down to music. It can't just be narrowed down to a form of dress. It has to be either a way of life or a philosophy of sorts, because a lot of people came to a particular analysis through punk. There's so much of punk that questions society. So for you, you talked about your love of punk. What is it about punk that attracts you? Yeah, well, I think firstly, and sound, before I talk about the ideology or like a perspective on the world, I think punk rock is a surprisingly inclusive musical genre. When I think of like, say, metal in the 80s, you know, you're either hair metal or you're thrash metal. And sometimes those worlds didn't always play nicely together. Whereas I feel like punk rock, the the borders are a little bit more open and you can have metallic punk bands. You can have hardcore punk bands. You can have punk bands that incorporate some ska. You know, there is a range of possibilities in punk music and have it still sound and be authentic punk music. I think the attitude was really helpful. I think the thing that set it apart for me when I was a kid was being introduced to the idea of being DIY, doing things yourself, forming your own networks, um, putting out your own records. You don't need to depend on a system to do these things, write songs and put out music. I actually have a distinct memory of um, talking about, I think I was talking about no effects and I was trying to explain to my dad like that actually, no, they don't want a big radio single and he just couldn't get it through his head. <laughs> he was like, what band doesn't want to be famous? And I was like, Right. That in a lot of ways that actually defines people who get punk from those who don't. <laughs> Are you going to go see NoFX on this final tour? Did they get around to New Zealand? They didn't. They just went through Australia and I would have loved to go. I've seen them several times before with Bad Religion on one of those gigs, actually. They played the town hall together. I would love to see them again, but also I'm not too cut up that I'm not seeing them again. You know, bands like no effects pennywise they really have my place as a youngster whereas bad religion i've come back to as an adult and i probably would have traveled overseas to see them if um they were doing a final tour and didn't come to new zealand yeah i was actually going to ask you about your love for bad religion and why you love them but no effects i'm actually going to see them and i first saw them in 1993 they opened for fishbone that was the only time i saw them I started doing a little more exploration with no effects because 
similarly, I did not listen to their albums chronologically, like with Bad Religion. Mm. And now I have specifically for this episode. But it is interesting how you have sort of the jocular side of no effects, which I'm not really into the jocular side of no effects. But then they have this other end, which is really inspired by bad religion, where they have these intricate songs about political situations. And I like that side mm. of no, no effects. But That's it, a great side of no effects. Yeah. Have you heard the decline? I EP was, I yet? was literally getting ready to mention the decline. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I've seen them play that live. It was excellent. <laughs> so what was it? All 20 minutes or whatever? <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was. It was the entire thing. What attracts you, not only to punk, but bad religion specifically, because I know for you as well as myself, they are one of our favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I think with bad religion, I've revisited them at different life stages. And on each revisit, I've found something new or that it's spoken to me a little bit differently. And they're a band that just continues to shape music that I'm into, the music that I play and shape just ideas about the world and about myself. So I find them a really introspective band. And so I feel like I've grown up with them. And each time I revisit them, the music feels a little bit new um, and rekindled somehow. So they feel very... They've just traveled with me a very long time. When I first got into them as a teenager, you know, I first discovered punk through The Offspring. Um, so I was born in 1986. So I was about 11 years old when the Xnay album came out, Xnay on the Hombre. And that was my ticket into punk rock. That's when I started learning about Smash and Epitaph Records, led me to Punkarama compilations. And so I was just eating up all of the, the Epitaph punk rock. And I found I Want to Conquer the World on one of those compilations, went to the record store, brought the All Ages compilation CD. But at that time in my life, Bad Religion was still just another punk rock band. I don't think I had quite formed frontal lobes enough to uh, to, to kind of engage with the lyrics. I just really loved the sound. Uh, and I loved that it had a more raw sound compared to the poppier sound, sort of no effects offspring. So it felt like it connected to a, um, a slightly older scene. <laughs> Maybe I felt a little bit more mature listening to it when I was a kid. Uh, and then it was when I was in my early 20s and just started going to university that a lot of the words in Bad Religion songs kind of came to life. It was somewhat similar for me. I'm about 10 years older than you, but I started listening to punk or rock in general around the age of 13, 14. And while listening to all sorts of bands, BR, I guess we'll call them BR occasionally. It's interchangeable, Bad nice. Religion BR. They were the first band to help me make sense of a lot of those questions that were going on in my head. So yeah, there are a lot of bands I listened to that evoked similar sentiments like Dead Kennedys that were talking about the state of society. But a lot of those mm. bands were a little more reactionary in nature. <laughs> so, mm. And the objective wasn't necessarily to have the listener ask questions. But with Bad Religion, I felt like that was really different. And uh, when I was about 14, I started studying anarchist theory and then moved to reading socialist theory and so on. And 
I would say punk as well as Ronald Reagan, <laughs> which is, mm. you know, there was some, <laughs> some, a lot of punks that were, you know, addressing the Reagan administration. But I feel like, honestly, that was really the seed that, you know, spread in that tree. I am still on. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think it was Ronald Reagan that really helped shape my analysis. I just knew something was wrong. And, you know, at 10 years old, my analysis wasn't well informed. So it was punk that really helped spread the analysis even more. And I was a little older. So I will always credit punk. Occasionally I'll say Ronald Reagan, but mostly punk because I call myself a punk kid. It really assisted me on the trajectory that I'm on today. And hopefully I'm a little wiser. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, all of that said, Bad Religion, they were truly the first band I ever fell in love with. And when people talk about falling in love, it's usually about love and romance in this very traditional way. But for me, me falling in love with Bad Religion was a very sentimental thing. So there's only mm. two times that I've ever fallen in love with someone's vocals. And one of those times was Mahmoud Ahmed. And the first time I ever fell in love with someone's vocals was Greg Graffin. Even though- That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> even though No Control was the first Bad Religion album that I ever listened to, it was the flip side VHS. Greg Graffin actually mentions this in his book, but he talks about it being on YouTube. But I actually had a physical VHS copy of the flip side video of the concert he's talking about. So this was at the Olympic Auditorium, and mm. it actually had Agent Orange and the Circle Jerks, which I totally forgot about because I would always watch the Bad Religion part. <laughs> <laughs> what a lineup. I love the Circle Jerks. Agent Orange is great, but... I always went back to the Bad Religion set. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and Greg Graffin's book, of course, is called Punk Paradox. I was so in love with his voice. I forgot, again, that those two other bands were on it. And even at that point, again, I had heard No Control. It was that video. And his voice wasn't solidified yet, but it was just something so mesmerizing about his voice. I didn't understand. Couldn't put a finger on it. I'm young. I don't mm. know. What year was the performance of the video? 1984. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Into the Unknown, of course, was out. But then the other EP. So they had the one EP in 81. The first album, yeah. 82. And Back to the Known was 84. So I think they were either touring that or doing shows around that. Back to and the Known. Sounds about right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Even though, again, I heard no control. It was that show, hearing his vocals. That's what captured me. And being, again, a punk kid, and I was in bands eventually playing guitar, drums, and quote-unquote vocals, or as Kirk Hammett says, attempted vocals. <laughs> <laughs> I was never that great of a singer. So hearing Greg Graffin, it's like, somebody can actually sing in a punk band. And it's just... I fell in love. And so I always wished that I could have a voice that's distinct, like, you know, HR, Bad Brains, Polystyrene, mm. X-Ray Specs, Angelo Moore, Fishbone, Jello Biafra, of course, of Dead Kennedys. I wish that, you know, I had this voice that resonated with people in that way or graceful, graceful vocals like Phyllis Hyman or Whitney Houston. But I did not have that. I got my, my mother's feet. <laughs> 
So that's <laughs> where I, I was like, okay, what can I do with this? I'll just attempt to scream or whatever in a band. But my voice is also, it's very much kind of like a folk singers in a way. It's, I don't know how to describe it, but when I heard Greg Raffin, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. There's just, definitely the folk connection in your voice and from, yeah. from Greg from, you know, didn't he grow up like singing? Yeah. I, I almost want to say like, where, what was Greg Graffin's like earliest sort of singing experiences? Cause I remember reading in his book, somebody telling him, you don't have a nice voice, but you have a good voice. Right. So he did sing in the choir when he was in school. And then he sang mm -hmm. with his grandfather. I believe. I think he was talking about that. And, but I heard that voice. I said, Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm in love. I, I don't even know. That's this. the voice I, for me. I'm in love with this. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like his, his voice was bestowed in some way, excuse the irony, by Punk mm. Angel. That is how I felt. <laughs> his vocals were like handsome and gritty all at once. It just fascinated me because I heard no one before or since really sing like that. And even people who are inspired by Bad Religion, like a lot of the bands, the voices are, are sort of nasally. Like even Fat mm, Mike of No mm. Effects is kind of, you know, <laughs> I yeah, it's part of Greg's, he, he sings with an authority that isn't aggressive or necessarily, like it's kind of confrontational, but it's not aggressive, but he yeah. sings with the intention, like you believe what he says and you almost trust what he says because of his delivery. It's clear, it's concise, it's really powerful, but it's also really melodic, mm -hmm. which is quite unique for a lot of the punk hardcore that came out of the 80s. You know, if I think of something like Huskadu, you know, very different vocal styles. Uh, Greg has a much more refined, almost adult sounding voice. He had his lecture voice by the time he had his punk rock band. <laughs> yes. And there's actually, I was going to mention that because there's a few songs, particularly when he was really deep in the graduate school programs where He's literally giving you a lecture. He's just singing it. It's so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fascinating. So, you know, when you talk about Greg Raffin being a great vocalist or a good vocalist, people, well, he's not that good. And yeah, there are people who are way better than him. I mean, yes, again, Whitney Houston is a way better singer. I don't think mm, anyone's mm. going to argue that. But he is my favorite rock vocalist along with James Hetfield. That's nice. just my preference <laughs> in terms of vocalists. I know people talk about Freddie Mercury, all these other people, but there's something, again, it's the beauty and the grit, the combination of that, the warmth that really does it for me. For me, when I hear Greg Graffin, there's this combined hunger, this vulnerability, this anger, and this pathos that's all combined. And it's so beautiful. And it's sort of like Elvis Costello but a lot more pleasing mm. to the ear. Mm. <laughs> so just... Well, I think a lot of that, our experiences of listening to Greg Graffin is that his voice feels like a pathway to him as a person. You know, you can listen to, you can listen to Whitney Houston or Michael Jackson, what, whatever it is. You don't really connect with it as like you as a person listening to another person. You experience it like you as a person listening to a pop star or this kind of something that's quite unattainable whereas with Greg Graffin you're like this feels like a friend and a mentor and it feels personal 
to you. It certainly did for me. Particularly since reading all of the books, there's what, four books? I feel yeah. even more in that way. And even yes. you know, reading the books, you hear his voice, you hear him talking. It's so fascinating that you hear his voice. Yeah, you read voice. his books and you're like, yeah, that all lines up with the impressions of Greg that I got from his music. Exactly. So with the pensive, the astute lyrics, and then you have Greg Graffin's vocals, it's really the first time <laughs> where I can say I'm close to being a fan of something because I'm not really a fan of anything. I'm an appreciator. Like people go, oh, you're a fan. Mm. of I'm, I'm not. I, fan is short for fanatic. So I guess you people would be like, well, you're a fanatic about bad religion or whatever. But I feel like, I don't know, this is just my perception around this. But being a fan about something, you don't always capture nuances and you don't necessarily do particular deep dives. It's just there's a particular image you hold and you hold on to that. And that is what you're a fan of. And of course, a fan to someone else is what I'm talking about in terms of appreciation. So do you ask 10 mm. people what a fan is? You're probably going to get 10 different answers. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very true. Very I true. Would say I, I think being a yeah. fan as well also means like you're on the ride with them through ups, through downs, through the unexpected left turns, through the changes of band members, like you're rooting for this band and you're following their every step. And I think that's the difference between being a fan as you, as you're alongside the music, as it gets released and as they do their band doings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whereas for me and appreciate it, it's like, yeah, I like this band and I like this aesthetic and these things, but you're not in a, relationship with the music as it progresses over time okay dang i guess i'm a fan then okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> well you did say different 10 different uh <laughs> definitions from 10 different people so because <laughs> hey. people say well you're a metallica fan i'm like i'm not a Metallica. i am a saint anger stan but i am an appreciator of metallica but hell you know, yeah pe people will say for your reasons, what you just stated that I'm a fan. So I guess I'm a fan. I don't know. But I do. <laughs> By my definition, you're a fan. <laughs> well, before we get into the albums and maybe some things in the books, I do actually want to talk about similarities between Metallica and Bad Religion because there are some. And reading the book, Do What You Want, I'm like, dang, this is Metallica. So there mm. are some similarities and I'm sure you have others, but both bands they're not beholden to a major label the thing though is that black and recordings does have distribution from warner music group it's still essentially an independent label despite the major label distribution epitaph mm. i think is still 100 independent and is one of that's the my understanding yeah and it's one of the few labels that have stayed that way and that's a very rare case that didn't happen mm. with sub pop that didn't yeah, that's so fascinating to me. And the other similarity, so they both have dedicated fan bases. <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's some quote-unquote truths. So there's people who are like, well, they were better with Pete Feinstone, or they were better with Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, oh, they suck now, and their music sucks, their first four albums. So same thing with Metallica. Oh, you know, once mm. they did the Black album, they suck now. Uh, they also both bands have emphasized the importance of education and both have created a foundational organization to allocate funds to people furthering their educational journey. So 
Bad Religion did have a foundation to do that. It's defunct now, but they did have that. I didn't that know that. That's great. Yeah. That, that was actually uh, mentioned in the book in uh, Do What You Want. Uh, both, I did read that. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, there's a lot of stuff going on. So there's some things that will be missed by both of us, guaranteed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> both bands definitely utilize imagery in integral ways. So with the crossbuster, uh, with just yeah, a lot the ninja of star, exactly. So imagery, graphics, and even marketing in a way. I don't think people talk about how much bad religion does marketing. They do a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> they've. I have more bad religion T-shirts in my closet than any other band because um, their T-shirts are always cool looking. There's different aesthetics within different bad religion periods too, whether it's suffer, no control, or recipe for hate. Like there's there's distinctive imagery and designs that when you see a t-shirt, you can say, ah, that's a generator era. Uh, check out those logos and the graphics. Mm -hmm. You can do the same with Metallica. And I don't think people talk about that. The other similarity is they held anniversary shows in their 30th and 40 years. Bad Religion, of course, did theirs remotely because that was uh, when you had the first wave of the COVID. So mm, the mm. other similarity is if you look at when they did all the promotion for the 40th and like they both look similar. The Metallica one and the Bad Religion ones look very similar. Go take a look at it. And you're like, wait a minute. Oh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so they look pretty. I similar didn't notice that. Yeah, they at least to me, they do. <laughs> and so a couple more similarities. So they've, of course, both have had massive internal turmoil. Bad Religion actually broke up in 1983. Metallica almost <laughs> broke up, but Bad Religion actually did. And even with yeah. that, there was still some turmoil going on. Of course, for this is Jamila's opinion. The last albums they did, and I don't know if it's going to be their last or they'll have another one, but for both bands, I feel like they made albums that showed no signs of creative weakness. I think both albums are strong, and if that is the last album they're going to go on on, I say good job. That's what I have in terms of uh, similarities. I don't know. If similarities. You know. That's nice. I would agree with each of their last albums being really strong. I know Bad Religion's working on a new one as we speak, but I really hope we see another Metallica record too. I've chatted with Rob, our mutual friend about this too, of how much I'd like to see Metallica make either like a dark country acoustic record or almost like a, a classical type record like me and rob geek out about how good of a guitar player james hetfield is and yeah. we would like to see him spread to some different genres too even if it was a solo project or something but as a statement 72 seasons was an excellent final record if that if that's the way it plays out if that's their last even thematically it would be very fitting whereas bad religion I mean, the world just continues to get stranger and stranger. So I feel like they'll be compelled to keep writing songs and giving their take for maybe a little bit longer than Metallica. I don't know. Yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, that's another similarity, though, because they've done acoustic versions of past songs. So that's another similarity mm, within true. this whole COVID era. See, they just keep coming. There's a lot of similarities and connections. Also, Mike Dimkich, who used to play in the cult, did go on tour with Metallica when he was in the cult. So that's another one. <laughs>
Ah, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that. A lot of connections going <laughs> But I want to start <laughs> with uh, when we're talking about the albums, the best opener mm. and best closer. For me, it, it was hard because I think they come out strong and I think they have some great closers, but I had to narrow them down. This might sound weird for any Bad Religion fan or appreciator. I don't care. You, When I talk about the albums, everyone's going to think I'm weird anyway. So it's just, you know, might as well just go there. But for me, <laughs> it was a choice. Get between, full weird. I'm down. I'm, I'm already weird. I get told that all the time. So it doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> but okay, here we go. It was a choice between three songs. <laughs> it was a choice between it's only over when overture mm -hmm. slash sinister rouge and hear it it was between those three in terms of my favorite openers and wow hear it as a yeah. favorite that's crazy to me exactly that's what i'm saying i i people are gonna be like what are you talking about but <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about hear it as an opener so much this is intriguing because that's a quite a, a relatively forgettable track in my oh. mind particularly on no substance a lot of people would like to forget that album, but I love that album. <laughs> I love. I love that album too. I love. And every well, actually, when I take songs off that album and drop them into playlists or songs in that album are in a set list, they sound like the best songs in the catalog. Yet when I listen to that album in its entirety, it does feel a little bit sluggish, even though I love all the songs. I felt like if they could cut the fat from the, you know, 14 odd songs that it is down to 10, I think it would have been a lot more digestible for me. Oh, wow. See, I feel that all the songs are great. I don't think anything needs to be cut from this album. Why do I think here it is a strong opener or out of the choices, mm. one of the strongest openers? It starts off, it actually starts off similar to how some Metallica song starts. It's just kind of slow. I like the element of surprise. And you don't always mm. get that with Bad Religion openers because Bad Religion openers are just thrashers. But Straight this, into it, usually. Yeah. it's a good point. And, and so that's very similar in terms of Overture and Sinister Roots. Just like, wait a minute, I don't know what's happening here. Even though they're playing the main riff of the song in Overture, but you don't know what's going on yet if you hadn't heard it. And so I think it's Quite very right. similar with Hear It. It's just sort of this element of surprise. And then there's just a level of anger that, you know, during this period, is just a lot of stuff going on. Brett Gerritz left the band. There's just there's a lot of things. So it's, mm. I feel like it, for me, is one of the strongest openers. But I think all of the openers are strong. My choice out of the three is actually Overture slash Senator Rouge. I can get on board with that. <laughs> hundred percent it sounds apocalyptic to me uh sinister rouge with that with the overture like there's something deeply ominous and almost like a i don't know when i when i hear that song kick in i picture like being inside the church engulfed in flames there's something like angelic about mm. the song i think it's the backing vocals so there's, there's something um religiously choir like about them but it's at such breakneck pace it's intense yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it is a fan favorite i feel like a lot of people even this is an era that's contentious in the community i think but a lot of people tend to agree that this is a really good opener so i, I would I, agree 
I'm not steeped into the bad religion community like that, but from what I've seen, yeah, I feel like this is. I, a, I get the sense that Empire Strikes First is pretty well received among people now. I, I often see people listing that pretty highly up their list. So if it was anything like my experience, like that album has grown on me over the years, same with new maps of hell. So I, I think it was, um, it settled nicely into their discography, that record. So I, I rank it highly too. Mm. Uh, Empire Strikes First is actually my favorite bad religion album. And in doing this, in listening chronologically, which I've never done before, I always would just mm -hmm. listen to their albums here and there. I don't really, uh, other than two albums, I don't have a favorite. I think they are all amazing. Not one, yeah. not one bad album at all. They come in and out of focus for, for me for which one I, uh, I feel like listening to and I gravitate towards. And I've had that with pretty much all of the albums. So uh, most recently for me, it would be The Grey Race. Um, that has that's been my go-to over the last couple of years for bad religion. And it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. They just need time to, to grow on you and to hear it at the right time. And suddenly it, it makes sense and you can hear it a little bit more deeply. I think the gray race is another favorite for a lot of people. And it's fascinating to me because a lot of people look down on the Atlantic period, including the band in some way based on their experiences. Mm. I know it's sad, but <laughs> it is like, sad. The gray race is a favorite for a lot of people that I'm hearing. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's a superb record. It, it, it's um, I think the gray race. Like I get the sense that it's such a Greg Graffin driven record. You know, the stakes were high for him. Brett had left the band. He's going through some emotional turmoil, which we'll talk about when we get into some of the songs. Yeah. And I get the sense that he's written a lot of the music. So musically it feels like a greg album where and it's the first album with brian baker on there i feel like brian baker is kind of playing it quite safe through that record but it it works whereas in subsequent records you get a few more like distinctively brian baker guitar yes. solos yes best production of the catalog for me is probably the gray race it really is rick okasic man rick okasic did the thing on that i would say in terms of my favorite production, it would definitely be the Grey Race and the Age of Unreason. I think those are the two of my favorite in terms of nailed it. Best closer. Mm -hmm. We Best should. Uh, it's good that uh -huh. Rob has actually heard Cease now, actually, um, okay. yes. because that's probably a production um, touchstone for him for our own music. Speaking of Cease, I was going to talk about Best Closer. So for me, it's a tie. It is an absolute tie, and Cease is one of the songs. The other ones, Don't Sell Me Short, which is in the top Brilliant. three of my favorite Bad Religion songs of all time. And it's on an album that so many people hate. <laughs> Tucked away right at the end. It's a strong finish. <laughs> I know. it's it's. I love that album. But again, I love all the albums. And I might be the only person who loves all of Bad Religion albums. I might be the only person on earth. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm almost there. I still can't quite get into into the unknown. I've tried a couple of times and ended up changing it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a point to to give it another go in the near future. Let me tell you something. Let me tell the world this. My two favorites that are probably not moving 
every other album, I thought I had a list of favorites, but I don't. The two that are not moving, at least for now, <laughs> are The Empire Strikes First <laughs> and Into the Unknown. People are like, what are you talking about? That album, let me tell you something. I'm going to read a little bit when we talk about the album. That album for people who are 18 and 21 years old, come on. I mean, they did How Can Hell Be Any Worse? And so that was more of a typical quote-unquote punk album. And it was mm -hmm, well-received mm -hmm. in response to the misogyny, the violence, all of these negative traits that did not attract them to punk. They made this mm. prog rock album. And it's brilliant. I don't care what anybody says. I really don't. I love that album so much. I, I love it more than the band. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this album more than the band. And I stand on that hill. That album is brilliant. I do not care what Brett Gerwitz says. I don't Didn't I, he actually try and recall all the pressings of that record and destroy them? That's the claim. So yeah, they were talking about how he burnt a bunch of copies in his driveway or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I give them to me. I actually have an original copy and they never re-released it on CD. The only time it was officially re-released was when they the had box set. Yep, yes. Good luck with getting that because they're not doing that again. Wow, treasure <laughs> that. That's incredible. So yeah, I have an original copy and I love it. And I don't care what anybody says. Any of the unknown is one of their greatest albums. I don't care. I don't care. I don't really care. <laughs> so, so now with that, we're going to get to, we talked about, I said 10, you said eight. So I was like, okay, fine. Because first you said five <laughs> and I was like, there's no way. There's no way yeah. we're just doing five songs. Are you serious? And so I said, well, can we do 10? I can't. I'm having a hard time deciding. And you're like, well, no, eight. So I, so I settled said, on eight. I like I it. I conceded. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to go one by one or do you just want to do all eight? Let's go one by one and each speak in turn, shall we? Cool. And so mine aren't necessarily in any order except the first song. So I'll just Great. say that. You go first. Okay. Um, mine aren't really in much of an order either. I have, in terms of just a specific memory that was important for me and is a really great song, is the track You of No Control. As a early teenager, uh, so probably would have been 13 at this point, I had had the All Ages compilation. And, you know, when you're young, you don't have a lot of money and it was pre internet days of being able to download music and find it easily. I can remember saying to myself, okay, I've got the all ages compilation. I don't need to go and get every other CD because I'll, I, you know, where will I find the money? It'll just stress me out. So I sort of made peace in my brain saying all ages, which you isn't on and really should have been, might I add. <laughs> and it was like, just as I had made this deal to myself to be satisfied with only owning and knowing this compilation i'm playing tony hawk pro skater 2 on comes this the one of the best bad religion songs i've ever heard which is you in the soundtrack and it was like the universe is saying 
you can't stop at the all ages compilation. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and then I scrounged some money together somehow. I, I don't know how I brought CDs when I was 13 years old, but uh, I went and found No Control and that was my first studio record. So I still love that song. Jay Bentley's bass line, which actually gives the melodic hook in the intro and between the choruses. Um, it is... Just uh, it was my gateway song into buying albums, so it's an important one for me. Thank you, Tony Hawk, Pro Skater Two. Wow, I love Jay Bentley, man. I oh man, <laughs> so <laughs> he's oh, the best. He, I love him. This is my favorite Bad Religion song ever, and we talked about my second favorite, but my favorite Bad Religion song ever. Is from the Empire Strike First, which is my favorite Bad Religion album, to Another Abyss. I know that the song discusses, it's sort of from the perspective of someone who was sent to go off into uh, imperialist territory to murder innocent people. But I also feel like the song could represent somebody like myself who does not feel at home in America you know, so mm, it's sort of mm, this mm. this idea when you're not feeling home, even in the place you were born. I do not consider this home. There's somewhere else. So I identify with the song in that way. The drums on it, I, just everything about it is it's such a beautiful song. And it actually reminds me of, in this funny way, this song called Out on a Limb by Tina Marie, one of my favorite artists. I've heard to another abyss compared to Rush. That's <laughs> like the punk huh. rush. So I'm like, that's fascinating. I wouldn't make that connection, but it's it, just such a strange pace to into another abyss. Um, and you can see those little froggy flourishings in the guitar lines and in the um, I'm not sure if it's in a funky time signature, but you know, it's not a song that you bang your head to. Right. <laughs> Right. And lyrically, I, you know, I've, I've never really connected deeply with those lyrics, but I can absolutely empathize with your take on that song. Looking at them now, these these words, how can I still avow and depend on a state, on a state that cares that nothing, nothing for, for my, my happiness, happiness welfare, welfare or fate? Or yeah. yeah, that's um, that's grim. Yeah, oh, absolutely beautiful song. That is my favorite bad religion song of all time. So. And such dynamics in that song. Uh, that cho The chorus is huge, absolutely huge. Much bigger in production and in feel than a punk rock song stereotypically should be. <laughs> that album actually has great production as well. I will give them that for sure. Oh, such a beautiful song. I could talk all day about it, but... Long <laughs> 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 ago, and yet the image is big.
next one on my list i've got how much is enough from the suffer record wow and i think yeah i i love this track it was um and again for sort of sentimental reasons you know we were talking earlier about how punk rock it sort of gives you the words and ability to to formulate you know the reasons behind the way you're feeling particularly when you're a teenager and that's 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 kind of a, a soupy mess but I remember just starting at university and I was a late bloomer with my education. You know, I, I didn't attain any high school qualifications and I was quite aimless uh, until I went to university and I studied sociology and eventually into criminology. So I was being introduced to some great social theory, Marx, Durkheim, uh, Weber, Foucault. And, you know, it's the first time I'd really considered capitalism as well. The first time I really knew what that word meant and that there were alternatives and that lyric you know i read the whole lyrics now this lyric might be a bit disconnected from what it meant to me but the lyric is production and consumption define our hollow lives how much is enough to kill yourself oh what is how much is enough to kill yourself that quantity is known today as we blow ourselves away just the link between like feeling angry like you want to die and linking it to your social structure linking it to like that time for me i had a lot of like 
body issues. I'm, I'm like a, a, a built guy. I'm like, <laughs> got a beard, but a receding hairline. But at the same time, a lot of like the people and the ideal image around me was like this skinny emo indie thing that is just, you know, it made me feel shit, you know? So it's kind of that song helped me sort of say, well, right, that is actually, I'm consuming a product of what an ideal body is or an ideal way to look is and it makes me feel like shit so being able to reject that perspective and say actually that's that doesn't sit within me this is uh this is a process of capitalism and it makes me want to blow myself away so let me step out of that and just reject that and feel better so that song was important to me to kind of i guess define my own ideals that is end amazing. of sentence <laughs> no that's absolutely amazing my second song, Kyoto Now, the, mm. the, from the process of belief, that song and Entropy were two songs. So I, I had this MP3 player. I still have it. And I had, uh, and I made it years ago. It was this list of just bad religion songs. And Kyoto Now and Entropy were definitely two songs on it. And I would ride my bike to those songs all the time. Wicked. <laughs> This, of course, is talking about the Kyoto Agreements and sort of environmentalism. So that's one of their primary subjects is environmentalism and how humans are the ruination of nature and all that. But <laughs> that's on brand for bad religion. Exactly. It talks about uh, if you stand to reason, you're in the game. The rules might be elusive, but the pieces are the same. And, you know, if one goes down, we all go down as well. The balance is precarious as anyone can tell. This world's going to hell. And so we read some of these lyrics. The lyrics are different than what he's singing. And it might be because they were written in a different way and they put to press. And he's like, no, I want to sing it this way. I don't know. But mm, half the mm. lyrics are wrong in the lyric sheets. That's <laughs> <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it says, and greed and miracles for the blind and the media parading disjointed politics founded on petrochemical plunder and where it's hostages. I mean, this is just brilliant writing. And yeah, it's, yeah. And oh, so well phrased. I know. Oh, I, I, I love this band. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So much. <laughs> oh, yeah, your turn. Your turn. All right. I've got um, I've got Generator up next Ooh. and Generator. Uh, that that is probably my pick for album openers as well. It's just I think one of the strongest bad religion songs musically and lyrically. Musically, I think in part because they Pete was out of the band and Bobby was in, and Bobby is a I guess a more diverse and a more kind of rock oriented drummer more than like a, a punk drummer to my ears, and so he made this sound bigger and more encompassing generator and atomic garden on that same record kind of achieved the same purpose for me just how kind of it's like watching tv and then you get like an hd tv and there's this like extra clarity and detail in this band that i don't think you I certainly don't see in a record like Against the Grain I love that album for a whole different set of reasons but Generator kind of sound and production wise really took them to another level and they started doing way more like little like Generator is a great example when it breaks down and it's got that like staccato kind of rhythm the bass keeps going and then the the scream comes back in underneath 
you know, over the top of all the instruments kicking back in. They were doing some weird, jammy, alternative rock stuff in there. So I love that because it it throws a curveball for just straight up punk rock. And I just love the imagery of the lyrics. They don't make a lot of narrative sense. I do think they're getting at this idea of some, you know, larger presence, you know, moving the chess pieces around, but it doesn't actually say what that is other than it's kind of, it's ominous. It's the generator, but the amount of lyrics in there, you know, like actors in a photograph, turbines in darkness, yeah. you know, twitches before, before or dying, dying, you know, pornographic sea. Humming. Yeah. It's silence. so yeah. visual. Yeah. Yeah. Like the blood uh, on my door. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. There's another very vivid image. So when I listen to the song, it almost reminds me of listening to like 60s Bob Dylan. Um, it's it's like a a, a, hell, a little dreamscape playing through your brain as you hone in on the words. And it's so visual. Brett in particular, I think that's his, his strong point in his lyric writing. He can... He, he gives rise to really strange imagery in my brain and generate is a great example of that. Let's kind of park here and talk about the differences in songwriting because people with the naked ear will be like, oh, all bad religion songs that sound the same. And obviously that's not true because people wouldn't be having conversations around which album is which and who left who. And, true that. You know, th there wouldn't be that, but definitely... Greg Graffin's writing is a little more scientific, a lot more scientific. And mm. I love how Brett Gerwitz talks about, he talked about this in the book, if I recall. He talked about Greg Graffin as being sort of an observationist. Mm. It made so much sense. And then you have uh, his writing, Brett Gerwitz's writing. It's a little more poetic. It's... Uh, a lot more allegory, and it's also more pop-focused in its nature. So there, yeah. there's definitely two. Uh, Greg Graffin's songwriting, when he writes the music for it's a little bit more abrasive. And so when mm. you're hearing more of the hookiness, that's most likely Brett Gerwitz. Yeah, I feel like Greg, when he's writing the music, it's a little more stiff, whereas Brett is is more fluid and more kind of rounded. It's it's a little more pleasing to the ear. Uh, so the and it's interesting actually because since the process of belief, I believe they credit all the songs to 50, 50. Greg and Brett. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you but, can't actually well you tell can like still, oh, is that you, a, is that you a Brett can't song? tell at some points. You you actually can if, mm, if you've been mm. paying attention to their style of writing. It still pops through, even though they're doing 50 50. It's I, I can be like, yep, I, I, it leans one way or the other, but I genuinely think that they sit in a room and write together since Brett rejoined the band. I think hmm. prior to that, Brett would bring it, they would each bring in songs and kind of compete with each other. Whereas I do think that it's more of a, collaboration now it could be wrong that's just my assumption and uh yeah. how i hear it i also think when brett Gerritz left greg graffin had to really find in him to write hooky parts because that yeah. was a huge aspect that was missing so a song like don't sell me short it's they it's funny because i am not a fan of anthemic songs at all but bad religion songs are anthemic i don't know why i love this band 
I mean, I do. <laughs> but Don't Sell Me Short is a massively anthemic song. It's it's not easy to sing. It's a song that I love to sing, <laughs> but it's not that easy to sing. And it's so beautiful. But I feel like Greg Graffin had to step up and really put that element in the music. And so you did hear a lot of that going on with an album like No Substance. I feel like people talk about Into the Unknown sort of being an outlier. But I feel like, and hear me out, I feel like No mm -hmm. Substance is their most experimental album. I mm. think that Into the mm. Unknown set the trajectory of where they've gone. And you hear a lot of those elements. But when you hear an album like No Substance, it's like, whoa, they, they kind of went into particular places. And I think a lot of that did have to do with Brian Baker. I think a mm, lot of that mm. had to do with the fact that Greg Graffin loves prog rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, yes. So there were a lot of those elements. I think even Into the Unknown was more, quote unquote, bad religion than no substance. That's mm. just my argument. And, you know, I'm sure most people are going to disagree with that. I feel like it was <laughs> it was a little bit more out there and it was their most experimental album. I, I feel like being an experimental album i felt i feel like that almost happened by accident they didn't set out to make a weird record right. i think they were i don't know my impression is that it maybe didn't have enough forethought for me of what the aesthetic was they were going for i, I feel like the the weirdness and no substance the good weirdness just kind of happened naturally for better or for worse. Not sure how much sense that makes. But no, I, I it, think Brian Baker would agree with you, actually. I'll take that then. <laughs> <laughs> My next choice is actually not an album cut. It is mm -hmm. an extra from Stranger Than Fiction, Markovian Process. And mm. so I feel like this is another aspect of Greg Graffin sort of doing a lecture but in song form. So the definition of Markovian process or Markovian chain. So this is from brilliant.org. It is a mathematical system that experiences transitions from one state to another, according to certain probabilistic rules. The defining characteristic of a Markov chain is that no matter how the process arrived at its present state, the possible future states are fixed. In other words, the probability of transitioning to any particular state is dependent solely on the current state and time elapsed. The state space or set of all possible states can be anything, letters, numbers, weather conditions, baseball scores, or stock performances. And so here's an explanation from a paper from Ohio State University. It talks about a Markov process being a stochastic process with the following properties. A, the number of possible outcomes or states is finite. B, the outcome at any stage depends only on the outcome of the previous stage. C, the probabilities are constant over time. It sort of goes with the theme of a lot of bad religion songs, but Greg Graffin decided to use a mathematical equation. <laughs> um, <laughs> talks about, and, and this is similar to uh, other songs they've done. So the level of disparity, the common man, the manner of destruction of the native land, the poverty of reprisal for all involved and the scathing trajectory from the past. I love this song so much. And Stranger Than Fiction, before I decided I don't really have any favorite Bad Religion albums except for the two, this was up there for me. Wow. Yeah. My favorite 
B-side from that record was News from the Front, purely yes. just because it's incredibly catchy and energized. And I haven't spent enough time with your pick there. I can't even recall the tune off the top of my head. So I'm going to take that as homework and invest some time into that track. Harmonies are excellent too. So. <laughs> <laughs> right up your alley. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What's your What's your next choice? My next song, let me see, which one will I choose? I will go with Supersonic. And I feel like I'm choosing some of the more obvious Bad Religion tracks, but some of the more obvious ones are kind of markers in my life um, and also ones that, yeah, that I've kind of had a, a second take on the lyrics with recently as well. So I remember Supersonic being important because I had gotten into Bad Religion and I was, you know, by the time I had all the albums, the new America had been out for a couple of years. And I, I always like to have the latest record of a band that I'm into, that I'm getting into. You know, I usually start at the most important record or a compilation, get the latest one, then fill in the gaps. And I can remember having the sense that new America is cool, but it it's definitely not no control. And I, I had started to associate like, so much of the goodness about bad religion sitting with Brett and being sad that he wasn't in the band and lo and behold, reading some internet article, that Brett's back and supersonic was the first song that dropped. And I think in hindsight, it's easy for people to forget how important supersonic was for bad religion, kind of reestablishing their credibility among a lot of the fan base. Mm -hmm. They had Brooks in the band. So it was like, it was so fast paced. The production was excellent. Supersonic sounds like a Brett song. Just in the context of their discography, Supersonic was just a like, ah, our band's going to be okay. There's new life, a new trajectory. And I just remember being so excited for the process of belief from the, the little taster of Supersonic. I think that song actually came out before Sorrow, but it wasn't like a formal single, but that was the first one that dropped online. Yeah, so good. It's so good. And as you saw, I recently did a, um, learned that song on the acoustic and kind of figured it out to be able to play it as a, just a voice and guitar song and sort of played around with the riffs to make it feel a little bit more my own. And I really connected with the words um, of that song being like, you know, we talked later about actually this is a song about substance use and addiction. I think there was a Brett quote that had linked it to that, but I, I was really understanding it about the pace of life and how busy we get. And this is something I relate to right now because I feel like I'm the busiest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and, you know, the demands of staying busy and it's like, okay, I'll go supersonic. I'll literally burn up in the atmosphere <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to get, to complete these tasks and do these things. And in the, the bridge of that song, it's got the two vocal parts, the vivid description of modern life and the backing vocal part and it's being delivered so quickly underneath another vocal line you, your brain almost can't make sense of it it felt like the perfect metaphor for the pace of life um you know those odd coincidences when the music mirrors the lyrical theme that you've stumbled upon it just mm -hmm. felt chaotic and fast and i love it so <laughs> a recent love for that song and an old love for this song it's an important one very nice. Yeah, the songs that Brett has around struggles with addiction, man. Oh, boy. 
I'll just say the song Billy, I have cried too. So. <laughs> oh, it's such a yeah. sad song, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. So next on my list, Pride in the Pallor from The Descent of huh. Man. Yeah. This hit home for me as a kid who grew up in an abusive environment, growing mm. up with trauma and the rest of the world not seeing it. But mm. you know everything that's going on. You know, the facade is that everything's okay. So yeah, I I love this song. It's one of my favorites for sure. But I pick this list mostly for, you know, do I connect with the song? Not if it's necessarily my favorite song, but if I connect with it, what's the lyrical content? Those are things I did look at, but I definitely connect with this song. Yeah, that's another one that I've probably overlooked a little, but from my memory lyrically, it it's like a narrative, right? He's talking about mm -hmm. characters in the song and their experiences rather than, you know, something more conceptual. Right. So it's a child seeing this violence happen and repeating it as he grows. And mm. he talks about what they created was a family story no one will tell. It's a photo album too terrible. Still, the pride and the pallor continue to swell as the matron silently prays. Wow, yeah, the facade eh, of public life or church life versus actually what's happening behind closed doors. Mm, mm, hypocrites everywhere. I know. <laughs> Cycles of violence. I know. Your turn. <laughs> All right. These two are kind of intertwined, but God's song and faith alone, um, and both being off the same record, so they kind of intertwine with theme for me. Great um, songs. But great songs. Such great songs. The lyrics of God's song, you know, an anthropocentric God being, you know, a God concerned with the the doings of humans and the importance of humans at the top. Religion is just synthetic flippery, unnecessary in our expanding global cultural efficiency. So to me that, that again, kind of divorced from the larger themes of the song, but the way that Greg sings that, I don't think he sings it with any kind of spite to religion. It's almost just an observation of religion is becoming less relevant as our culture changes and as the speed of capitalism increasingly is getting more and more efficient and quick. We're no longer looking as a society to religion to explain things or for our morals. It becomes flippant and outdated. So I thought that was just a really cool observation. And it connects to Faith Alone for me because that song is a little bit more personal because, you know, religion, you know, if we're looking at it sociologically, religion was the glue of society. It was, you know, having shared morals, having shared worldviews and understandings. And then with increasing differentiation of like the amount of different choices an individual has now, it can be harder to connect and feel like you've got something in common with your your fellow man and woman right so mm. faith alone for me it is kind of has the searching vibe of you know he he went to uh the church and he left there feeling blamed you know went, went to the synagogue went to the scientists and he threw up their hands like you know who's actually got the answers like is it science is it religion actually neither of them are answering these questions for me no one can tell me what to do and I think that comes from a place of, I wouldn't say arrogance, but like that's a modern individual having to define your own morals. And I think what Greg is saying there is you got to figure that out for yourself and be accountable 
learn from your mistakes and but you're kind of on your own faith isn't enough you actually have to look at the situation that you're in and be accountable for your decisions and make good decisions because there isn't some wider institution to rely on that's going to make those decisions for you absolutely lots of ideas in those songs for me <laughs> that's great and <laughs> actually faith alone was one of the songs they redid in 2020 so Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I remember not loving the redo, but appreciating the attempt and hearing it from another angle. I'm going to uh, revisit that one as well. Yeah, I love the rework. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I am a bad religion fan because I'm like, but I don't think they did anything. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is I'm I'm looking bad here. Okay. <laughs> so, next on. <laughs> Next on my list is Lose Your Head from the Age of Unreason. And oh, cool. That had an alternative version too. Yeah. Had a fast version. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the demo version yeah, that came out and Brett Gerwitz actually talks about it and he says, quote, it grapples with today's deeply troubling political events. He talked about it being in relation to cognitive science and Buddhist philosophy Quote, hmm. He says the Buddhist concepts of no self and the mindfulness of death, which in practice can heighten one's compassion for others and an appreciation of life. And it makes me think about in uh, Greg Graffin's book, when he was talking about suffer and the art for suffer and the dude who made the art was also a Buddhist. Hmm. So there's a lot of connections there with Buddhism and I love that, you know, questioning place in life, existentialism. So uh, even uh, when you look at the uh, Hollywood Palladium, I don't know if you saw that DVD. But I they, have, yep, I've seen yeah, that. So they talked about it where uh, particularly Brett Gerwitz, he said, well, you know, Jesus was probably the biggest radical liberal there was. You know, like we're not anti-Jesus. <laughs> like we're just talking about the system of religion. So it's, uh, mm. it's very interesting. I think Greg Graffin is a little bit more caustic about it where he's just like yeah mm. we don't practice religion in this house that's what that means to me you know? <laughs> and I, I feel like brett guritz is a little more pensive about it yeah, yeah it's funny because i am not an atheist at all i'm not an agnostic i'm a spiritual person i love this band i think even if in general, there are concepts I don't agree with as a person who's not an atheist. I think it's important, even when you are a spiritual journey, to ask these questions of yourself and the world around you. And I think that is the objective of bad religion. I think it's important, mm, mm. even when you do stand for a particular belief, you have to ask questions of that as well, because how do you come to an analysis if you don't ask questions? And even in the Bible, it talks about asking questions. That's something you're supposed to do. So people who just study things, wrote people who unquestionably believe something like, how do you know God exists? Did somebody tell you? Did you figure it out for yourself? Those are questions you need to be asking of yourself and others. And I think that is something bad religion does very well. So again, I don't, a, a song like materialist, I love that song. He's like, mm. I ain't no deist or whatever, but, but <laughs> It still asks the question. As a person who is a dialectical and historical materialist, I'm like, yeah, I'm a materialist too. But that also, you know, I support the concept of the combination, the alliances of religion and revolution or spirituality and revolution. The people that I look at ideologically, like Sekou Ture, people like that, 
I think is, you know, looking at the connection, the connectivity of spirituality or re revolution and mm, and mm. religion or spirituality. You have people like Fannie Lou Hamer, Martin Luther King Jr. There are people who have made those connections, Malcolm X. And so I wouldn't rule that out at the same time. I don't think bad religion is saying that someone who practices a religion is bad. They're very clear on that. And this mm, idea mm. they're where, just saying question it and exactly. and hold space for different ideas. You exactly. can you don't have to commit yourself entirely to one point of view. And exactly. I don't think everything fully has to resolve neatly and make sense and you have to have like a logical view of how you operate in the world. You know, I I think I would be an atheist, but at the same time, my mind is still open to things and connection and things that I can't quite explain and things that I have a feeling about. So you can, you can hold space for multiple ideas is what I take from bad religion as well. It doesn't have to, you, you know, I don't trust people that uh, have the truth, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, there is, there are particular truths because they're science I think this idea that science and spirituality are mutually exclusive, it's like, no, they're not. Evolution is not mutually exclusive from nature. It's like, it's evolution. Mm. Things evolve and adapt. So there are truths that exist because there, there are historical truths. But as we know, as, as the saying goes, the victories are written by their victors. So there are particular mm. truths mm. that need to be questioned. But when we have sufficient evidence to counter that truth is the whole different story. And I think that is what bad religion is speaking to, where these literal truths that do exist, they've been documented time and time again, and people continue to deny these truths that exist to create a whole other what they call truth. And it's fabricated. So this is one of the reasons I love this band. There's a different agenda there. Exactly. Yeah. I love this band so much. We have two more in the eight. So what's your, what's your <laughs> parallel of the gray race? I think this is a great example of Greg's observational skills in a relationship that's about to implode. I know he got divorced around this time. He made that great American Legion record, which sort of was oh. much more personal than we're used to for bad religion. I, I wanted to um, get into that so bad. I love that album so much. Anyway, it's a great record. It's a great record. Um, so there's wicked lyrics in here in terms of, you know, the relationships on thin ice, you're kind of coexisting in the same house, but in very separate head spaces with building resentment. These lyrics, sleeping on a time bomb, staring into space, sitting on the fence post to watch the storm roll in and terrified of the damage it will bring, splintered dreams of unity, our lives are parallel, you know, your lives are side by side, parallel, but not not actually joined, not together. Mm. A side-by-side -side suffering loneliness, phony collective progress, forging little plays of deception and pain as we watch our foundation crumble away. And then my favorite part, the way he sings it, it's in the bridge, staggering like birds against a hurricane, all the while trying to stay out of each other's way. Mm -hmm. And his vocal inflection and when he sings uh, stay out of each other's way, his voice kind of cracks. It sounds to me like, that's not how he meant to sing it, yet it happened and it came out sounding awesome. So they kept it. <laughs> but oh. a great um, relationship song for me is Parallel. He describes things. It's based on science, but it's also, it's alliterative. It's empathetic. It's such a beautiful way 
of writing the way, you know, in the other books where he is talking about evolution, where in his own book, he's talking about growing up. He's talking about his experience with the band. It's like his singing to me. His writing is very much mm. like his singing. And it's very direct. People might think that's strange to attribute these qualities to something that you cannot necessarily feel or touch. But to me, singing is something that is very tangible mm. as is writing, mm. as as a writer. <laughs> I and just, it's intimate as well. It's yeah. intimate. And it, it is someone's, it's, it's an avenue into the person. It would be so amazing to sit down and really talk with him about writing. Also, I identify heavily with a lot of his experiences, which is why I would like to go more in detail about that stuff as a child who did grow up around abuse, as a person who was around a lot of people who did a lot of drugs, who struggled with alcoholism. My mother struggled with alcoholism. And to see how we shared similar experiences when it came to that.
people, we have come to a shift in the episode. Unfortunately, Chris did have to leave. However, he was kind enough to send some audio to round out the rest of his list. Where we were on the list so far, I was going to do a song. But since we are still going to be alternating, I'm just going to put the remaining two songs at the end of my portion of the list. We're also going to be doing some runners up. So hopefully you found some music that inspires you. And if you're already into Bad Religion, maybe you'll re-listen to them if you're like, I haven't heard that in a long time. Hopefully you got something positive out of this experience. I know I certainly did. And my hope is that Chris did as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and on with the rest of the episode. All right, coming at you with my final Bad Religion picks. Can't quite remember if we talked about Cease. Um, I think this song is fantastic. And my initial impression was that it's a divorce song and it's written about the crumbling of a relationship. Um, same themes as Parallel for me, though one of the cool things about the way it's written is it could be applied to so many different situations where corruption is present. So it's actually a really bleak song because it sort of says everything good will eventually start to uh, show signs of wear and break or it's going to be infected and the infection spreads. The imagery throughout this tune is fantastic. Blacktop pavement cover me like a chemical reaction or a steamroller spreading randomly institution on the hill like a beacon in the mind of an ancestor to ignite a people's will there's a shadowed stain on the west facade it has spread like decay to enshroud the fraud what pretension you know so this image of like a building starting to decay and fall down even though it stood for all this it stood for something great and it's meant something to generations. You know, you can apply that to a relationship. You can apply it to, you know, the death of an American dream or a New Zealand dream, you know, to be able to work and also uh, have a, a nice place to live with a yard and a batch. I am two paydays away from being homeless if I lost my job. So um, everything must cease. Everything that's good must come to an end. I also really like the chords in that song. Um, they're actually really simple chords, but they are played with musical knowledge applied. They're played in an order that gives them a bounce and a sense of movement through different parts, even though they're really simple power chords. Um, so that's something that Bad Religion does very effectively, making so much use of simplicity but it's very thoughtful in how they apply that simplicity if that makes any sense next up for me is chronophobia chronophobia is on the deluxe edition of new maps of hell it's one of the acoustic songs and one of the rare occurrences where the piano is the lead instrument you do hear some acoustic strumming there but the lead instrument is the piano. It is an incredibly devastating and simultaneously succinct song about the fear of the passage of time and the fear ultimately of death. The lyrics are heartbreaking, as are a lot of bad religion songs, to be honest. They say what is past is coming back someday. The world is turning faster, but it's just one way. 
and I'm desperate to try almost anything to abate a simple chronophobia. I mean, it starts with these rational delusions, which seem like an oxymoron, but it makes total sense here. Maybe there's a science or technology to help me come to terms with my maker. Since natural selection never banked on me, I must be an exception to the plan. I mean, just listen to it. It's such a beautiful song. So that's what I got for this portion of the list. I'm going to go next to No Control. Lyrically, this was a big one for me. It's uh, the first time I started thinking about time (laughs) as a teenager time both in the grand sense of oh there's generations before me there's generations that will come after me and it's been weirdly reassuring you know no control one of the first songs where i started thinking about my place in time and within human evolution it's become sort of an acceptance statement of thoughts that i can trace back to thinking about the song for the first time If you came to conquer, you'll be king for a day, but you too will deteriorate and quickly fade away. The reminder that, you know, our worldly pursuits, the things that our egos get caught up in, whether it's power, control, status, reputation, interests, whatever it is, in the scheme of humanity, uh, we're actually pretty insignificant. It doesn't really mean anything. So when I'm really struggling with things, I can say, well, it feels really important, but in the scheme of things, this problem I'm facing kind of means nothing because we are all destined to die and be forgotten. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound comforting, but it actually has been an acceptance statement of sorts for sure. Yeah, I think that's a special thing about bad religion too, because a lot of punk points very clearly at systems that are problematic and are wrong and structures that have issues. But bad religion isn't just saying a fuck you to a particular thing. It's actually really nihilistic in this song. It's saying none of it matters. (laughs) Uh, So that's a whole other level of critique. (laughs) Uh, I also like the lyrics in here consciousness has plagued us and we cannot shake it also thinking about time here history and future are the comforts of our curiosity but here we are rooted in the present day that's a badass lyric around staying mindful for me we we can't control what's uh, occurred in the past we don't have much control over what comes in the future we're rooted in the present day even though we live so much of our lives reflecting on the past and planning for the future, time seems like a much more stable thing than the reality of actually all we've got is this present moment. So I trace some of that mindfulness thinking back to this song. Trying to be present is a huge part of my current life. I need to continue to practice and hone that skill. My final two choices for this eight song list come from an album that's not necessarily looked upon favorably. I have no idea why I absolutely love this album. Then again, I love every single Bad Religion album. So I'm not really one to go to when talking about albums that people don't like. (laughs) But this album is the final chapter in the Atlantic Records period of the band, The New America. And these two songs are Whisper in Time and, of course, Don't Sell Me Short. (laughs) absolutely love these two songs. They are incredibly heartbreaking songs. 
this came from a period where Greg Graffin was dealing with a divorce. I think when people go through a divorce, it's a very long process. So you're going to hear songs that may reference a divorce on several albums. He's also had solo albums. His first solo album was for sure referencing the experience around a divorce, not only his own, but his parents' divorce. And I think Whisper in Time, in my mind, in my view, does reference his parents' divorce as well. All those stories that my dad told me, they are just a whisper in time. All those things that never came to be, they're just a whisper in time. It's very much similar to an Irish folk tune. And a lot of Greg Graffin's songs really do sound as if that is an inspiration. All those places I wanted to go, all those friends who now I do not know, uh, maps and roads that brought me here today, circumstances that were explained away. Such a beautiful song. And I just, I really don't know why people don't like this album. This album is so incredibly beautiful to me. <laughs> don't sell me short, of course. Mentioned it. It's one of my all-time favorite Bad Religion songs. So it would be interesting if this wasn't on the eight song list. We don't need any more mountains because the trail builders failed to give us passage there so we can't reach the sky. Listen to these beautiful beautiful lyrics. Listen to them. Take them in. We don't need any more fables because the writers have passed and left us lessonless. We must find our own way. We don't need any more privilege. There is vivid desperation that is powerless, that no surplus can repay. The chorus Pass me on by, ignore my cries, forget me when I die. Just don't sell me short. Take these lyrics in. Such a beautiful album, such a beautiful song to round out this beautiful album that is rooted in heartbreak in some ways, that's rooted in loneliness, that's rooted in pain, that's shared by so many of us. I love this album so much. I, I love this song so much. And that rounds out the eight songs on the list. Again, a very hard job to do, but we got it done. <laughs> we don't need any more mountains because the trail builders failed to give us passage there so we can reach the sky. We don't failure there is human tragedy that's written everywhere we are wrong too young to die like a mystery that's here to stay some people never go away they got something to say don't tell me short oh you've been wrong don't push me off oh, Just because I don't belong Like it or not I'm all you got Dispose me when I hear shot Just don't tell me short 
to pass it to Chris. I want to mention Man with a Mission and Atomic Garden. I think these are two of the most musically interesting Bad Religion songs. They show Bad Religion's willingness to go into slightly different genres and incorporate, you know, some noisy elements, some country elements, and just expand their sound. When Bad Religion gets weird, those tend to be my favorite records. I'm also going to add Marks here off uh, Strange in Fiction. That is a recent song that just jumped out to me. The idea of everything that you touch, create, interact with, everything that you love, everything that you hate, everything in your experience leaves some kind of mark on your soul. I think that's a cool idea, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, Also, it's got a really fun ascending melody that feels like you're kind of going into overdrive or driving really fast or something. I really like Do the Paranoid style. I think Jamie's drum beat is fantastic in that. That's probably the most distinctive song on the latest record for me. Love the production on that. Epiphany. Mid-tempo bad religion totally works for me. Epiphany is probably the best example. Uh, Jay Bentley has a great bass line. It's kind of got a proggy build-up and lots of movement. Reminds me of songs like Cyanide that I also love. Just for the songs that depart from being straight-up punk rock. So... (laughs) The first choice I made on what was a very difficult list to make, the runners-up list, is True North, the title track from the album True North. (laughs) 
The song was inspired by a letter that Greg Raffin's son wrote to him. When I listen to the song, I think of my ancestors who looked to the North Star to escape their enslavement. So I am appreciative to Greg Graffin's son for writing this letter to inspire such a wonderful song, a wonderful opener to a wonderful album. <laughs> Other songs on this runners-up list, very difficult list, again, is Cease, which was discussed earlier. That's from the Grey Race album. Also from the Grey Race, we have Pity the Dead. From the Empire Strikes First is a non-album track, Surface of Me. We have Generator, the title track from the album, Generator. My Poor Friend Me, Recipe for Hate, that comes from that album. Inner Logic from the Stranger Than Fiction album, All Good Soldiers, Recipe for Hate. That album, that is one of my favorite Bobby drummer moments. Bobby Share, the drummer of Bad Religion during this period. Along the Way, one of my all-time favorite Bad Religion songs. That was on Back to the Known. Of course, that is an EP that was released after Into the Unknown when the band broke up and came back and did this EP. And finally, in uh, again, a very long list. There's more, but... We're just doing runners up here. No Control, the title track from the album, No Control. I refuse to abuse what is dying to the muse. But it's there and it's happening to me along the way. As we go through the snow, we cannot forget our foes. But the dinner's always waiting at the table on the way. Yeah. What you see, not for me, isn't what you plan to be. But you'll have what you wanted in the end along the way. And we'll try as we cry, and our brothers pass us by. To be strong through the ages of our tears along the way. That the morals we must know will be shaped and mistaken by the falls along the way. But forget, don't regret to find love and happiness unless you're willing to be strong when they're gone along the way. Like on me, you are free and you will not follow me. But we we'll see each other once more on the path along the way. Thank you once again, and we hope you found something positive in this listening experience. Wherever you are in the world, we hope you have a good morning, a good day, a good afternoon, a good evening, and a good night.